All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Are you ready? Amen. I want to take just a minute and set this up um, and kind of connect back to what God's been saying and doing. And so while I get ready to do that, if you'll go ahead and find Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 7 in your Bible, Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 7. I don't know if some of you weren't here last week, but if you weren't here last week, our lead pastor, Pastor Kathy, preached an incredible message to us. How many of you were blessed by that word last week? Amen. Now, if you weren't here or if you weren't here on any week, you can jump on our website. You can go on the YouTube page. You can find the messages and see what you missed. So I encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that message if you weren't able to hear it. But what the Lord has been speaking to us for several weeks now, and she just articulated it in a really clear way, is that we? this is a time when God's calling us to take responsibility. Amen? Take responsibility for our house. Take responsibility for the harvest. Take responsibility for what God is saying to us. And um, we're going to begin doing that. And so I feel like the Lord's just spoken to me this morning about continuing that message. And uh, we're going to talk about taking responsibility for your readiness. Taking responsibility for your Readiness. Pastor Kathy has some continual things going on at her house, and uh, I know that some of you see her on Facebook, so I want you to keep her in prayer. She's just had continuous things um, to not go the way they need to go at her house, and uh, that was even going on this morning in some unexpected ways. So uh, we're just continuing to, to pray for her and keep her surrounded. She's going to make it. She is one of the strongest women I have ever known in my life. And, uh, and we know God's grace and strength, but she asked me to greet you on her behalf. I'm sure she's watching right now, but with some of the things that are just going uh, bananas at her house, she needed to be there this morning. So Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 7, this is a lengthy passage, but um, we're going to read it because it's good, and uh, I won't. I won't just, you'll be glad to hear this. I will not preach this exegetically line by line today. Amen. So uh, we'll get out by lunch. Amen. So it was. Everybody say, so it was. If you were here for that message, Pastor Kathy really jumped onto that phrase last week, and we're going to begin declaring, so it was. Amen. So it was that their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. How many of you know it's important what you let God do to you while you're on the way? Sometimes you don't get a pit stop in your journey with God. You've got to let God do some things while you're in motion. And he said they didn't do that on the way. And when the circumcising of the nation was done and they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed... And the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. And while the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day that they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Just put a pen right there and realize that sometimes when God brings things to an end, it's only because He wants to open up new and better things for you. Can you say amen to that? So anytime you see one aspect of God's provision ending, you know that he's going to, we'll get to that in just a minute, he's going to open up better things. Just look at your neighbor and say, God's got better things. Continue reading. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you one of us or one of our adversaries? Another translation says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he replied, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped, and he said to him, What do you command your servant, my Lord? And the commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Lord, we ask you to speak to us in this moment. Lord, we know we hear your voice already in this house and in our family. And Lord, we know that you're uh, speaking to us about taking responsibility. Lord, would you just equip us and prepare us for what you have prepared for us today? Help us to take responsibility of our readiness. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the most important things that we can learn about being a Christian or being a a follower of Jesus is that our ability to hear what God is saying is always most important in our lives. If we're going to be followers, we have to be listeners. And if you can't listen, you can't follow. How many of you have ever raised something called a child? How many of you know that children can't follow and obey until they first learn to listen? How many of you know that every ounce of frustration you felt toward the child in your house, God has probably felt a thousand times more towards you when he's trying to speak to you and avert danger from your life and do the good things that he wants to do in your life, but you just keep bebopping along your road like a toddler who won't pay attention. How many of you know no matter how poor you are, no matter how broke you are, no matter how bad of a time you're going through, no matter how many things you can't afford, one thing you can always afford to do, one thing you always have got something that you can pay is attention. When you can't pay for McDonald's, you can pay attention. When you can't pay for Taco Bell, you can pay attention. And the good news of the gospel is that really all the currency you need to get out of the mess that you've got yourself into, you don't need a great strategy. You don't need a a new revolution. You don't need $100. All you need to do is pay attention. You might not have a dime in your bank account, but if you can just quiet down all the distractions in your life and pay attention to what God is saying to you, he can get you out of anything you've gotten yourself into. And so I'm a witness too. Sometimes paying attention has gotten me out of everything that I've gotten myself into. And the children of Israel in this passage are being confronted with the reality that they have not been paying attention. What you learn about God is that when we don't pay attention, the only person that that harms is us. How many of you found out in your life that God's got more time than you do? How many of you found out that God's not getting old and God's not going to die one day? God's not getting nervous. He's not uptight. And so he looks at the children of Israel when they're not paying attention, and he says, if y'all want to stay there all your lives and let your bones be bleached in the wilderness, I'll wait for another generation. How many of you know you get to choose what you want to participate in God's kingdom in? God invites everybody to participate in what he's doing. I get to make the choice of how far my participation will take me. But God's constantly issuing invitations and saying, whosoever will, come be a part of what I'm doing. How many of you know that the problem we have on earth is not God's level of activity? Sometimes we have prayer meetings, and it sounds like we're trying to talk God into doing something. Can I just tell you that prayer is not our opportunity to talk God into doing something? Prayer is our opportunity to get ourselves in a position so that we can better pay attention to what God is already doing. The problem isn't that God isn't doing something. The problem is that I might not be paying attention to what God is doing because God might be doing it with people that I don't like to hang out with. God might be doing it in ways I'm not familiar with. God may not be doing what he was doing in 1992, but he's still doing something. And if I'm in love with what God was doing in 2003, I could miss what he's doing in 2021. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So, so the Israelites are stuck in this place, and they're learning this, me- this message, this very important principle that we find throughout Scripture. And watch this. That is this. God is not preparing your future for you. Now, we got some songs I need to go back and revise, and if you didn't grow up in church, you probably didn't learn those songs, so just count yourself blessed. But Jesus is not busy building anything for you right now. Jesus is not busy preparing anything for you right now. There's no construction project going up in heaven that's hurrying up so that you can get there. Jesus is not the general contractor over your mansion. What Jesus is trying to do is prepare you for the future he already has prepared for you. Y'all didn't get that. Jesus isn't building your future for you. He's trying to build you for your future. He's trying to prepare you for what God has prepared for you. The Bible says that God has prepared things for us. That is prepared like past tense, already done. If I prepare a meal for you, then that means it's prepared. It means it's cooked. It means it's steaming hot. It's sitting on the counter. If it's still in the oven and it's half cooked, it's preparing. But once it's prepared, it's ready. And God said, what I have for you in your future is prepared. So the issue is never whether my future is prepared for me. The issue is whether I'm prepared for my future. So how many of you know that when you wake up this morning, you just woke up in the future? It just got here. We call the future the present. The future The present is the future when you get there. So how many of you know you can't meet God in your future? Are y'all getting this? Because God doesn't live in your future. God lives in your present. You don't live in your future. You live in your present. You're a continual, ongoing experience of the present. That's why God said, I am that I am. Because he wanted you to know that every moment that you exist, you have an opportunity to encounter the presence and the voice of God. God isn't off somewhere calling you to where he is. God is in the middle of where you are trying to get you to open your eyes to see what he's doing. And so we've got to begin to understand that our ability to enter into what God has for us is always connected to our cooperation with his preparing work in our lives. So the question is not, does God have a future prepared for me? The question is, am I allowing God to prepare me for the future that he has for me? Now, the way that the Old Testament talks about this preparation process in this passage is this word called circumcision. And I heard one of our Kingsgate students and our student ministries pastors just brilliantly uh, note to you that when we read the Old Testament, we always bring it through the cross into the New Testament. And when we do that with circumcision, we find out that what God is doing in circumcision doesn't have to do with our flesh. It has to do with our heart. So when I read about the Israelites in the desert needing to be circumcised in their flesh, Paul teaches me when I read that, what I need to read is that God is trying to deal with my heart. So just like the Israelites had to have their flesh cut on in order to enter into their future in the Old Testament, so I need to have my heart dealt with so that I can enter into the future that God has for me. So what I want to tell you this morning is that before you prepare for the harvest, you've got to begin to prepare your heart. Before you get ready for the harvest, you've got to take responsibility for your heart. Somebody say, take responsibility for your heart. Now, the Bible tells us that above all else, we've got to guard our heart because out of our heart flow the issues of life. So here are the Israelites in the Old Testament, and God's got a better land, a different land, a more abundant land for them. But he says you can't enter that land because you haven't taken responsibility for your heart. How many of you know that sometimes what God is waiting on is not for me to get circumstances and details of my life ready. It's my heart 
that needs to be worked on in order for me to be qualified to possess what it is God wants to give me. This is good news because as much as I want you to finish your degree, your ability to possess your future is not connected to you finishing your degree or getting approval from your parents or getting a, a, you know, a promotion from your boss. Your ability to possess your future is always qualified by your willingness to have your heart worked on. Now, let me see if I can break this down a little further for you. So you have to understand that in the Bible... Your heart is not just an organ inside your chest. It's not just a metaphor for your emotions and all these. It is those things. But your heart is the thing by which you see. So the Bible uses language like the eyes of your heart. That your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So according to the Bible, I don't just see with my eyes. According to the Bible, I see with my heart. Now this makes much more sense because if I want to understand what God is opening up to me, I'm going to have to be able to see it clearly. But in order to see it clearly, I don't need contact lenses. I need God to cut on my heart. Are y'all doing all right? So watch this. Maybe, maybe the lack of clarity I'm experiencing is the result of the lack of heart work I've been doing. Y'all didn't get that. I say, see, a lot of people say, man, I wish I could just see more clearly. I wish, because, you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, if you see, if you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. And if you're born again, you can enter the kingdom of God. How many of you know you always see before you enter? You always see before you enter. And, and, and so God keeps talking to me about my heart, but I keep talking to God about my vision. God keeps talking to me about my heart, but God keeps, uh, you know, I keep talking to God about my understanding or about my clarity or about what I need. And so what we have to do is begin to understand that what God's trying to do is clarify my vision by dealing with the issues of my heart. In Joshua chapter 6, right after this passage, the, 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 the captain of the Lord of hosts looks at Joshua and he says, see the city of Jericho? He just talked to him for a whole four paragraphs about getting the Israelites' heart right. And then he says to him, see the city of Jericho? Why? Because when I let God deal with my heart, I'll start seeing things I didn't see before. Before God dealt with Joshua's heart and the Israelites' heart, they saw the city of Jericho as a fortress shut up tight, as the most impenetrable city that they had ever imagined. But once they let God circumcise them and deal with their heart, they didn't see it as an obstacle. They saw it as an opportunity. I want to tell you that when you let God deal with your heart and when you let God speak to issues that are cluttering your vision, the things that you've been staring at that you thought were stopping you from entering into the land that God has for you, you'll look at the same thing and say, that's not an obstacle, that's an opportunity. If I get my heart right, God can use that to propel me into the future that God has for me. Are you getting this this morning? So here's what I want to say to you. How do we take responsibility for our Heart. I want to teach just for a couple of minutes about that. So just get ready. Get ready to learn something. We're going we're gonna to break some things down. So number one, the way that I take responsibility for my heart is that I have to steward fresh encounters with Jesus. I have to steward fresh encounters with Jesus. Now, we have to be careful in a church like ours because we love to talk about encountering the presence of God. And I love to encounter the presence of God. But I want to I press on your language just a little bit and remind you that when you're encountering the presence of God, 
you're encountering the person of Jesus. Are you doing okay? So what we love to do is we love to come and encounter the presence of God and the person of Jesus, and we like to get our version of uh, a goosebump, warm and fuzzy, Holy Ghost, whatever your little tradition is, however you like to worship your face off or do whatever you do, use your language, you know, we just, whatever you do, it could be old school, it could be new school, it could be medium school, I don't care what school it is, but essentially, if you're not careful, what it can become is about your experience in the presence of God. But here's what I want to tell you. In the Bible, encounters with God, watch this, We're always intended to change how I see other people. Encounters with God were always intended to change how I see other people. Now, do I need to prove that to you, or do you just believe it? Can I, can I, because I'll do it if I need to. I'm just trying to read my audience right now. Amen. Are you with me? So, so let me give you a couple of examples because I feel some skepticism in the room, and that's okay. Okay, so let me give you a couple of examples. So, so Jesus starts, uh, Jesus is leading his disciples, and they start having encounters with him. And one of the first things that they learn is that Jesus sees people differently than we do. So Pastor Kathy talked about last week the, the woman at the well who Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. So Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well, and the disciples are going, what are you having a conversation with her for? You're not supposed to talk to people like her, but Jesus sees her differently than they see her. Then Jesus has another conversation with another woman who everybody else thought he wasn't supposed to have a conversation with, but Jesus sees people differently than everybody else sees people. In fact, you could actually say from the Gospels that one of the things that most distinguishes Jesus from everyone else around him is how he sees people. Are you with me? So Jesus' deep encounters with the Father transformed the way that he saw people so that his disciples themselves struggled over how Jesus saw people. In the Old Testament, Jacob has an encounter with God who wrestles with him all night. Jacob is afraid of his brother Esau, and the next day, Jacob encounters Esau, who Jacob thought was his enemy, and Jacob looks at Esau, watch this, and says, when I saw your face, I saw the face of God. What happened? Nothing about Esau changed. What changed was Jacob's encounter with the presence of God caused him to see somebody in a different light than he had ever seen them before. And if you are having encounters with Jesus at the altar, but you go back and see everybody the same old way you've been seeing them, I want to tell you, you need a fresh encounter with Jesus. You need to come up out of the altar saying, I've never seen that person that way. You need to find a place of repentance, which doesn't mean sorry. It means let me change the way I think about other people. And we're going we're gonna to find out why this is important in just a minute. But watch this. It changes the way we see other people. This is connected to our ability to engage and take responsibility for the harvest But you can't take responsibility for the harvest until you first take responsibility for your heart. Am I doing okay? So when we gather together on Wednesday nights, and I just want to say last Wednesday night, I mean, I was so blessed and blown away. Uh, 75% of the crowd that's in this building right now was here on Wednesday night to pray and seek God together and say, God, work on our hearts and transform us. And so for the next few Wednesday nights at 6.30, if you can be in this sanctuary, we want you to be here. We're going to take an hour and say, God, we're here taking responsibility for our our heart. We're going to let you cut on us. We're going to let you do what you need to do because we're going to be ready to get in to what you have for us. It encouraged me so much that we had such a great response to prayer because what I know that that means is people are saying, God, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for what you have for us. So encounters not only intend, they're not only intended to change the way we see other people, they're intended to change the way we see our circumstances. And so we focus on that a little bit more 
So when you have an encounter with Jesus, you see circumstances differently. What looked like an obstacle can look like an opportunity. What looked like a, a stubborn person in your office can begin to look like somebody that you can just make uh, the top of your prayer list. How many of you know that God will subvert and turn things upside down in your life if you just find yourself encountering the presence of Jesus in new ways? So we're asking God to give us eyes to see what he sees and ears to hear what he hears. What happens when we have fresh encounters with Jesus is that our hearts get softened in the presence of God. And so the Bible uses this analogy about hardened hearts and softened hearts. I want to give you a couple of things that harden your heart and then uh, encounters in the presence of Jesus. Just coming back to the altar can reverse these trends in our life. Are you ready to learn something? I don't know if you're going to learn anything, but I did this week. Number one, one of the things, now I could teach probably 25 things that harden your heart, but I'm going to give you two of them this morning. Amen. Aren't you glad? Because you're going to get to eat a burrito later. Amen. That's good news. So, the, the first thing that I want to tell you that will harden your heart is resentment. Resentment. Now, resentment is a word that we all understand in English, but I want to show you what the root word of resent means. The root word of resentment is from the Latin, which is re, resentir. So if you speak a little Spanish, you just get a little, you get a little head start on this. If you say in Spanish, if you say lo siento, how many of you know what lo siento means? means I'm sorry, but actually in Spanish it means I feel it. It means I feel it. Because sentir means to feel, and to resent something is to feel it again. So what happens is the enemy gets us in a loop, and I'm about to get in your business right now. He gets us in a loop of getting addicted to feeling that again. So let me show you what that sounds like. Can you believe what she said to me? And then you, what are you going to do? You're going to rehearse what she said to you. Why are you going to do that? Because you want to hear it one more time. You already heard her say it. You got bitter, mad, full of unforgiveness. But when Sister Sally, your friend, gets on the phone, you're going to tell her what she said again. Because you're going to resent it. You're going to feel it again. You're going to say, let me feel that one more time. Then when you get off the phone and you get home at night and get ready to go to bed, you ain't got nobody else to tell, so you tell yourself. I can't believe what she said to me. I can't believe they did that. And then you find 14 other people in two days to tell them what that person did to you. Can I ask you a question? What good is that doing you? How helpful is that? To rehearse your resentment. What's happening is your heart is getting harder every time you feel it again. Because you were not designed to feel it over and over. You were designed to feel it one time and then take it to the cross and say, Jesus, that hurt me, and I need you to take this from me. And Jesus says, bring your resentment to me. I'll burn it up on the cross and set you free from it. So you find yourself saying to people, when they come to you, can you believe what they did to you? And you say, yeah, I can believe it, but I took it to the cross, and it's dealt with. I forgive them. I'm free from all resentment. I'm not going to live in the loop of feeling it over and over and over again. How many of you know that can be addictive? Y'all don't even want me to preach about Facebook right now. You don't even want me to talk about social media right now because what you're doing is you're fishing for the comments that let you resent something. You're putting your woe is me post out so that you can get 152 comments and help you resent that 152 times. I wasn't planning on preaching on Facebook. I didn't mean to do that. It's not even in my notes. There's no social media platform in my notes at all. That's got to be the Holy Ghost. I don't know what to say about it, guys. Just came out of nowhere. But how many of you know resentment? So here's the Israelites and their resentment. Watch this. I'm going to give you two. The first one is resentment. And watch this. Resentment is directed toward people. Okay? But what happens when our heart's getting hardened and it's not directed toward people, it's directed toward circumstances? So watch this. The second thing that hardens your heart is something called entitlement. 
entitlement is not when I'm resentful toward a person. Entitlement is when I'm resentful towards something that didn't work out like I wanted it to work out. I thought this was going to go this way, but it didn't go this way, and I feel like I'm owed something here. So I've got resentment toward people, but I've got entitlement towards circumstances, and now I'm in a double downward spiral of my heart being hardened and hardened because I'm getting mad at people, and I'm actually getting mad at God because he didn't do things like I wanted him to do. And so entitlement is is the process by which we tell ourselves we are owed something. And here's the problem with entitlement. Entitlement takes you out of rest. It takes you out of rest. And here's the thing. In the kingdom, rest is the way you receive. And so if you let the enemy take you out of rest, you're letting the enemy take you out of receiving. See, that's the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why? Because you need to be in a place of rest to receive what God. In fact, when the, when the New Testament interprets this passage, it says it's not land, it's rest. That's what the book of Hebrews says. It says they weren't trying to get into land. They were trying to get into rest. So we have to learn how to enter into rest. And, and if, what you've got to watch out for is people that rob you of your rest. Man, I'm preaching to somebody right now. And if you got people that when you get in conversations with them, they rob you of your rest, they're robbing you of your inheritance. So you got to tell them, I love you, I appreciate you, but my rest is more valuable to me than our, our little soulish friendship that you like to talk about everybody and how they did us wrong. I can't live there anymore. God's cutting that out of my life, and he's calling me in to a whole new place of possessing what he has for me. So you can't, everybody say you can't resent you say, why, why is that such a big deal? Why are you making this? Here's the deal. Watch this. You can't reach anybody that you resent. And so we would be doing you a disservice if we stood up here and said, go get the harvest. The harvest is ripe. Let's go get the harvest. But how many of you know if you've got resentment in your heart, you're limiting what God can do in your life? And so when you deal with resentment, what if, i got a question for you, what if, the same people that God's calling you to reach are the same people that you keep resenting. Selah. What if I'm so focused on what I think I'm supposed to have that I can't see what it is that God wants me to have? What if I'm over here in my corner going, I wish this would have worked out this way, and I could take you to the Gospels right now. We're almost to Easter, and this is exactly what the disciples are doing after Jesus risen from the dead. They're resenting what happened. They feel entitled to some position in the kingdom, and they're completely clueless about what God is doing. Why? Because their hearts are hardened, and they can't see. But until you get in the presence of God and say, God, warm my heart back up, rid me of all resentment and entitlement, I'm going to humble myself in the presence of God. I'm going to say, God, whatever you bring to me is a gift. See, the thing about entitlement is that it gets us out of a gift economy. Everything is a gift. You need to get that through your head right now. Everything is a gift. Everything you have in life is a gift. And so only thing we can do is just say, thank you, God, for where you have me right now. I may not have been doing everything perfect, but I'm going to thank you for where I am right now and say grace has got me to the place that I am. So it shifts our focus from what didn't happen to what God is doing. So first thing we have to do is we have to embrace fresh encounters with Jesus. These are the main points, the Roman numerals. All that other stuff was A's and B's and 1's and 2's and 3's. I hope you got that all right. So number two, and that's our final point for this morning. Number two is we embrace new ideas about who the harvest will be. We embrace new ideas about who the harvest will be. That's what fresh encounters with Jesus will do is it will bring you to a place. Now, let me bring a word of encouragement and hope to you. Can I do that? 
before we close. Here's the word of encouragement and hope that I have for you. Is that the story in Joshua is, is pointing forward to the true Joshua who is Jesus. Amen? And the message is that even when I spend seasons of my life forfeiting my preparation, Jesus is able to, all I have to do is open my heart to fresh encounters with Jesus, and he's able to prepare me for what God has for me. How many of you know that God doesn't ever put you through remedial school and beat you over the head about everything you got wrong for the last 10 years? And I was getting this message ready, and the Lord just spoke to me and said, make sure you drop a word of hope and encouragement for everybody that's listening to you because there's some people who are lost in a cycle of regret about what they, how they didn't steward a season of their life. But God wants you to know that if you'll open up your heart to him in this season, he has an ability to circumcise your heart and get you ready for what he has for you so that no shame no regret, no condemnation, no wishing I could have done it. And if you're at the latter season of your life, God says, I can restore the years to you that the canker worm have eaten up. So it doesn't matter how much you've wasted. Here's all that matters is that we take responsibility for our heart. We take responsibility for our readiness. So when you do that, you're going to find yourself broadening your circle of who the harvest could be. It's good news that when one method of provision dries up, it's only because God has a better one that he wants to open up. But how many of you know if we don't let our mindsets be shifted about people, about who God can use, about what, how God wants to use me, about the places, watch this, then we're going to constantly limit how God. So here's the thing. What if God, how many of you believe God has a harvest prepared for you? You ready for this? All right, now I just encourage you for four minutes, so I'm about to challenge you. You ready? What if the harvest God has prepared for you doesn't look like you? What if the harvest that God has prepared for you doesn't believe like you? What if the harvest that God has prepared for you doesn't vote like you? The, the amens are on a precipitous decline right now. They just keep decreasing exponentially with each question. Is anybody still in church this morning? How many of you know that God's, God's desire to use you in the harvest isn't limited by any delineation that culture wants to put between you and another person? And until our count and encounters with Jesus, watch this, until our encounters with Jesus start changing what we think of as the other to begin thinking of as our brother. So what we need in the American church right now is a shift from seeing everybody as the other to seeing everybody as the brother. And I would say sister, it just don't rhyme with other. So you know what I mean, ladies, right? Are you with me? It doesn't matter what gender you are. What matters is that I don't see people as other. You know what? They may be far from God, but they're created in the image of God. And all they need is somebody that's willing to cross a few boundaries, move into some new territory, get into a world I'm not comfortable with, and call the redemptive purpose on the inside of them out and say, God, I'll be you your brother. I'll be your neighbor. I'll walk alongside you. I'm going to show you the kindness of God, the goodness of God. I'm not going here to tell you what your viewpoint's wrong and how you don't understand this and you don't understand that. I'm here to say let's find the goodness of God together. The disciples told Jesus, we don't go to Samaria. Jesus said, you might not go to Samaria, but I like to go to Samaria. Follow me. You are not the leader. That means you don't get the whole Christian camp in your favorite clique and tribe. You have to follow Jesus. 
Sometimes Jesus goes into places we're not comfortable with. Watch this. Uh, 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 A commentator on, on, on John chapter 4, Dr. Craig Barnes, he said this. Isn't it ironic? Watch this. See if you can find yourself in this story. I love this. Isn't it ironic that the disciples who are supposed to be evangelists. This is hilarious. So you've got Jesus talking to a sexually promiscuous woman. Let's just call it what it is. Can we just call it what it is? Jesus is having a conversation with a promiscuous woman, and he's got his disciples with him who have been commissioned by Jesus to be evangelists. And Jesus is having conversations with this woman And the disciples are hung up about the issues in the woman's life. Meanwhile, the woman has a conversation with Jesus and goes and evangelizes her village. While the evangelists are dissecting and analyzing the issues in her life. I wish I could break up about 1,400 church meetings where people are analyzing the issues in other people's lives and say, why don't we just go out and tell somebody about Jesus? Well, brother, I don't know if they ought to be doing that, if they're in that, and if they've been doing that, and I'm not sure how much time they need before they're ready for that. And meanwhile, Jesus is having conversations with people that we think we're better than, and they're doing the work of the Lord. Take responsibility for your heart. Take risk. You know what that woman did? She said, my heart's a mess. My heart is a tangled, absolute disaster. And Jesus said, I can deal with that. She said, I'm ready to go. I don't know why Jesus didn't put her through the seminar. I don't know why he didn't send her to Bible school. I don't know why he didn't make her go to first base, second base, third base, home base. I don't know why Jesus didn't do any of that. But somehow he was able to release her into her ministry while all the professionals were trying to figure out all the questions Wouldn't it be ironic if the people we are most worried about are the ones that are fulfilling the mission better than we are? Ooh, that challenged me this week. I don't know about you, but that challenged me. I don't want to be an expert. I want to be an amateur. I want to be somebody who says, you know what? I've read the Bible a few times, but I need a fresh encounter with Jesus. I need to come in contact with his holiness. I need a coal from the altar to touch my lips. I need to be reminded that the whole earth is full of the glory of God and that Jesus is on the throne. I need to be reminded that even in my inadequacy, God can use me. If I get my heart right, I can take responsibility for the harvest. Come on to the keyboard, you guys. Come on to the keyboard. Now, the last thing that I want to tell you is that it's bigger than you think it is. And I want to say that to you for your own life right now because you may be in a season where you're beginning to shrink God's possibilities about your future. But I want to tell you that the Spirit of God wants to come into the midst of the gate church and stop us from shrinking possibilities and get us to begin expanding possibilities. You know, God never draws smaller circles. God's always drawing bigger circles. God's always enlarging. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 11, this is what God said to the children of Israel. Guys, you can throw this on the screen for me real quick if you can. Deuteronomy chapter 11, God told them about the land in verse number 10. And he said, for the land that you are about to enter and occupy is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come. He said, you sowed your seed and you irrigated it by foot like a vegetable garden. But the land you're crossing over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. It's watered by rain from the sky. A land that the Lord your God looks after. The eyes of the Lord are always on it. From beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you'll only heed every commandment, then God will send the rain on your land in its season. 
the earlier rain and the latter rain, and you'll gather in your grain, your wine, and your new oil. You say, what's God saying to us? What God is saying is that any time He opens up new land to us, any time He opens up new harvest to us, watch this, we have to change our mindset about how we can steward that. So he told the children of Israel, he said, you used to run around with a little flower pot and some water, and you watered it by foot, watch this, like a vegetable garden. You got up on, you know, it took you 30 minutes to go from one end to the other and just put a little bit of water out. But the land God wants to give you is an enlarged land full of hills and valleys so that your little water pot ain't going to do it anymore. He said, what you're going to have to learn how to do is go to a deeper level of dependency on God in order to water that land because the only way that land gets watered is if it rains from heaven. Your water pot's not going to do it anymore. You're going to have to learn how to depend on God for supernatural rain. I came to declare to the gate church this morning, we're about to depend on God for things only God can do. And as we prepare our hearts in the presence of God, God wants to make us a people who are ready for only what heaven can do. You know what? I'm not interested in doing church that we can manufacture with our little water pots and run around and watch little vegetable gardens. I'm interested in church that gathers people together on Wednesday nights, on Sunday morning, whenever it might be. And we say, God, we need rain from heaven in order to experience what you have for us today. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask you just to stand to your feet all over the building, if you will. And I don't know what this meant to you, but I know what it meant for me is that this week I spent time in God's presence saying, God, before I stand up and say this, I want you to deal with my heart. I want you to shine your light. You know, there's a verse in the Psalms that you'll be very familiar with, and it says, search me and know me, O God. See if there's any offensive way in Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh God. I want us to have a search me, oh God, moment right now in church. And so as these guys get ready to lead us in worship, I just want you to bring your heart. We had such a powerful moment this morning in worship. I want us to come back into the presence of God and say, God, here I am. If my heart needs working on from you, I'm making myself available. Come on, would you just lift your hands right now before they sing and just begin to create an altar wherever you are this morning. Come on, let's lift our voices. I'm coming back to the heart of worship Where it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Where it's all about you, it's all about you. manufacture fresh encounters with you but you can graciously give them to us and I pray right now for my brothers and my sisters right now in this moment Lord I pray that they would feel the warmth of your presence right now Lord I'm asking you to do 
I'm asking you to send that rain from heaven. God, we can't make it rain, but you graciously make it rain. And when we turn our hearts to you in simple faith, God, you meet us with preparing power. And so, Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking you to do that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm praying that as we gather on Wednesday night in prayer, Lord, that transformed hearts will be the result. Lord, that our vision will be enlightened by the Spirit of the living God. Lord, that you will enlighten the eyes of our heart. Lord, I'm praying that we would put away every religious exercise and every go through the motions, but Lord, we'd become a people with hungry hearts to encounter the presence of the living God. Lord, I'm praying that the harvest would begin to show up in our lives, not only in church services, Lord, but on street corners and at cash register lines. And, Lord, running into people at gas stations, Lord, I pray that you would revolutionize us as people who have eyes for the harvest because our hearts have been purified. Jesus, you said, blessed, listen to this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see for they shall see, for they shall see God. So, Lord, we say give us pure hearts. Lord, give us pure hearts in your presence. Lord, give us altered moments that transform our hearts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give people an opportunity. Maybe you're here today. and I just believe, listen, I believe the harvest is going to come multiple, multiple ways. I don't believe it's all going to come through an altar call. I believe that people are going to just respond to Jesus in faith right in the middle of a worship service. I believe people are going to just respond and give their heart over to Christ. But if you're here this morning and you say, man, I want to get my life right with Christ. I want to, I want to let Jesus work on my heart. We've got some prayer teams that are going to come to the front right now. And as we get ready to close our service, I want to give you an opportunity just to say, today's my day to get my life right with God. We want to take responsibility for you. Pastor Kathy talked to us about taking responsibility. So we want to say to you, we're here to join with you. We want to pray with you this morning if you want to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. Church family, I want to tell you that we need to lean in to letting God do new things in our heart. We need to take responsibility for the seeds that have been left to us. We need to take responsibility for our heart, for the harvest, for the house, for our families, for generations. And if we do that, we don't have to, we don't have to be perfect. All we have to do is let our heart lean into God in this moment. Don't be distracted. Focus and lean in. If you're joining us online right now, somebody will pray with you. If you'd like somebody to pray with you about the condition of your heart. Maybe you don't need to get saved. Maybe you're in the building. You don't need to get saved. But you say, today I want someone to pray with me about my heart. I want to be ready for the future that God has for me. The altars are open this morning. These guys are going to